Welcome to Something New with Steve Tucker, where no matter how long you've walked with the Lord or how much you've read your Bible, you can always discover something new from God's Word. And now your host, Steve Tucker. Hello, everybody. Today I'm going to show you something new that I learned in Revelation chapter 1. My church is currently going through the book of Revelation, and I know prophecy can sometimes be complex, but several years ago I was reading through this and found something that helped me really make things simple as far as God's plan for the future. John is on the island of Patmos. He's been exiled there by the Romans for his faith, and he's an old man now. Sixty years or so have passed since Christ has gone back to heaven, and Jesus appears to him in his glorified form. And I'm going to pick up in the middle of the passage in verse 11 where Jesus says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. And what you see, write in a book and send it to the seven churches which are in Asia, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamos, to Thyatira, to Sardis, to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. Then I turned to see the voice that spoke with me, John said. And having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the feet and girded about the chest with a golden band. So going up to verse 20, Jesus tells John what this candlestick means. He says, the mystery of the seven stars, which you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands, which you see are the seven churches. So here at the beginning of the book of Revelation, we see the Lord speaking of the church or churches these seven churches, and they're all churches in what is now modern-day Turkey. Um, So they're all predominantly Gentile churches, and he says that they're the golden lampstands, or we would say the candlestick, because he's really speaking of a menorah, which has a middle stem and three branches that come out of each side, so seven total lampstands representing these seven churches. This is very interesting. You know, I think about light, You know, Jesus said he is the light of the world. And when I think of Jesus being the light of the world, I think of the Chilean miners. Remember several years ago, there was this mine shaft that collapsed in Chile and these miners were trapped for many days and they were really, really scared and and depressed thinking they were dead down there. And finally they got them out. And I think of that being just the ultimate terror pitch black, can't see a thing, and just down inside the earth. But I thought, you know, as a door is open to get into that shaft, you know, probably somebody came through with a flashlight or a torch, and they could see it from a distance and think, wow, we're saved, you know? And I think that's how Christ is. He's the light of the world. The world's in darkness, and it's groping for its way. And then here's this light. Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father. No one goes to heaven except through me. And so this hopeless generation who's lost has this light that comes into the world, Jesus Christ, for salvation. It's interesting because in Matthew, on the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says that we, the followers of Christ, are also the light of the world. And I think about that. You know, we get to share the good news of Christ. We get to share the way. We get to share the light with people. Hey, you know what? You're not doomed and damned. Christ is the way, and you can live forever with him. And so we get to be the candlestick, and that makes sense to me. But as I think of the candlestick, this isn't the first time we see the candlestick. The candlestick is also mentioned for the first time in Exodus 25 when the people of God, the Israelites... Uh, were in the wilderness wanderings, heading to the promised land, having just been released from Egypt. And God gave them a pattern to build this tabernacle, this center of worship. 
and he was going to show them how to worship him. And he said, the first thing I want you to do is build this candlestick for the temple. The candlestick was this solid gold beaten work. Uh, again, the stem with the three stalks coming out of the sides, making this menorah, this sevenfold candle. And it was to burn perpetual, perpetually. And, it, you know, fueled by olive oil. And, and the priests were to light the candle and keep it lit constantly, trim the wicks and keep it full of oil. And so in Israel, we saw this idea of a candlestick way before we see this passage in Revelation. Again, we see the candlestick in Zechariah chapter 4. Israel had had some uh, great times. They had the kingdom age with King David and King Solomon. They were following the Lord for the most part. But then they fell into idolatry. And the Lord had to judge them. He had to allow them to go into captivity to Babylon for 70 years. And at the end of the 70 years, he allowed Israel to come back to the land, a small contingency of people led by a man named Zerubbabel and Joshua, uh, led the people back to the land. The temple had been destroyed by the Babylonians. There had been no temple worship. There had been no light lit. And they come back to the land, and the Lord gave them a prophet named Zechariah to kind of keep them motivated. They had built the foundation of the temple. Uh, They had built the altar. But they left off the building because they got discouraged. The people of the land were causing problems, were threatening them, and the Lord wanted them to get back to work. And so he told Zechariah to tell Zerubbabel, the the governor, and Joshua, the head priest, uh, to get back to work. And God gave Zechariah a vision one time, and it was a candlestick, a big candlestick, just like the menorah. And it had two olive trees, one on each side. And in the olive trees uh, were pipes that came out of the branch branches into the uh, base of the candlestick to give it fuel. And Zechariah asked the angel, he said, what is this? What does this mean? And uh, the angel said, hey, these uh, represent the concept of Zerubbabel and Joshua, they're not going to do this by power. They're not going to do this by might, by their own wit or their abilities. They're going to do it by my spirit, says the Lord. And Zechariah asked him a question, well, what, what are these? What are these olive trees? And he said, the olive trees are my two servants. And he was speaking of Zerubbabel and Joshua. And the idea was that they're going to be used to do great things, not by their own power, but by the power of the oil of the Holy Spirit flowing through them and keeping the lamp burning bright, the candlestick. And so theologically, I see that God used Israel not because they're great or powerful. These representatives of Israel, Joshua and Zerubbabel, represented the nation of Israel who would be the light of the world through the power of the Spirit and represent God to the world. When Abraham was called in the book of Judges, or not Judges, uh, the book of Genesis, In chapter 12, God said, I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. And he said, in you, all the nations of the world will be blessed. In you, Abraham, I will reveal myself to the world, not only through the light of a people following me uh, correctly, but through the light of Jesus Christ who would come through your loins. And so Israel, we see, was the candlestick in the past. But here in Revelation chapter 1, verse 20, I see that the church presently, or at least in the time of the Apostle John and going into today, because the church has continued, uh, the church is the candlestick presently. So the church is the light of the world. Israel was the light of the world. Well, what happened? Well, we find out in Romans chapter 11 that Israel passed the torch to the church. 
Now, this is a complex, uh, it's a complex issue. Uh, there are differing views in the church, and it's, it's a mystery. Paul talks about it in Romans 11, this mystery of Israel versus the church. And so he starts off in verse 1, he says, I say then, has God cast away his people? He's talking about the Jew, Israel. Certainly not, for I also am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham and of the tribe of Benjamin. So Paul starts off here in this passage telling us that he's a Jew, and he's talking about being a Jew physically, hereditarily. He says, I'm an Israelite. I was born in the tribe of Benjamin. My ancestors are the 12 tribes, and and specifically Abraham. And this is interesting that he starts out here, because when you say, is someone a Jew, they could be a Jew by birth. Uh, They could be a Jew by religion. They could convert to Judaism. Or you could be a Jew spiritually. And in Romans chapter 2, Paul says that a person who is circumcised of the heart is a Jew. A person who worships the Lord in spirit and truth, who follows Jesus Christ, is is really a, a Jew, meaning basically part of the family of God. And so Paul goes on to try to clarify this mystery. He says, basically, Israel is represented like an olive tree. And he said, there's always been those who followed the Lord uh, who were Jews. He, he said, even during the worst times when King Ahab and Jezebel were ruling and Elijah had called fire down from heaven to prove that God was the true God and the people for a moment believed, but then uh, Jezebel threatened to kill Elijah and he was running for his life. And he said, God, where are you? You know, I'm the only one left. I'm the only Jew that believes. And he said, nope, you're not. I've reserved 7,000 Jews who've not bowed the knee to Baal. And so the Lord said, even today, there's a remnant uh, that's following the Lord according to the election of grace. That's in Romans eleven five. But he says, you know, the Jews uh, that are unbelieving are like branches in the olive trees that have been broken off, the olive tree that's been broken off. And he says, they've been broken off through their unbelief, but he says, you've been grafted in, you Gentiles, those of us that aren't Jewish by birth, you know, which is everyone else. Um, He says, they have been brought in, they've been grafted into the tree and they have been accepted through their faith. So when Christ came, some believed, right? Jews believed, the 12 12 disciples believed and several others, many others. But for the most part, nationally speaking, the, the, the Jewish remnant of Abraham, physical Jews, they rejected Christ. And because of that, the Lord says that you've been grafted in. And I want to pick up in verse 17. He says, and if some of the branches were broken off and you being a wild olive tree, we Gentiles who didn't know Christ, he said, we were grafted in among them and with them became partaker of the root and fatness of the olive tree. So the church, uh, this body of Christ, people who have believed in Christ since he came and died and rose again for our sins, is predominantly Gentile and we've been grafted in. There's always been a remnant of believing Jews, so they're the tree. So the church hasn't replaced the olive tree. The church has just been added into the olive tree, along with believing Jews who there have always been and always will be. So what does that mean? So there's been a passing of the torch. The church, Israel was the, the lampstand, the candlestick, and the church is presently the, the candlestick, burning bright, telling the truth of God. And Paul sums it up in verse 25. He says, For I do not desire, brothers, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own opinion, that blindness in part has happened to Israel. Now, he's not talking about spiritual Israel, those who followed Christ. He's talking about the nation of Israel. 
He said that they're blind, but only in part. There's always a remnant. There always has been that knows the Lord and still continues to believe and not be broken off. He said that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. He said it's temporary. So the nation of Israel largely doesn't believe in the Messiah. They're still waiting on the Messiah. They've rejected Christ as their Messiah. And so Paul went to the Gentiles and thank God he did, right? Because most of us who are listening here are Gentiles and he brought the gospel to us and we're saved. So we've been grafted in. And so God's not through with Israel, but for the most part, Israel is unsaved. They're blind so that we could come in and be saved. But he says, it's going to be temporary. He says, there's a plan for the church and it's also a temporal thing. He says, that Israel's blind until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in, verse 26, and then all Israel will be saved. So the church hasn't replaced Israel. There's always been a remnant of Israel. We've been grafted into Israel, predominantly Gentile. But as soon as God's done primarily working with the Gentiles, he's going to return to Israel and he says that he's going to focus on them and all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the deliverer will come out of Zion and he will turn away ungodliness from Jacob. For this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. Concerning the gospel, they're enemies for your sake, but concerning the election, they are beloved for the sake of their fathers. The Lord says, I made a promise to the fathers and I'm not going to break it. I'm going to see Israel through, even though they've not been faithful to me, I'm going to be faithful to them. Don't you love that heart of God? And then in 29, he says, for the gifts and callings of God are irrevocable. God doesn't change his mind. This is fascinating to me. As I go back to Revelation, now I'm going to show you what I learned new about Revelation in this passage of the church being the candlestick. It helps me take complex prophecy and understand it simply. Because in Revelation chapters uh, 2 and 3, the Lord writes these seven letters to these seven churches. Notice in verse 11 of chapter 1 that the churches are all predominantly Gentile churches. They're all churches in Turkey, uh, what is now modern-day Turkey. And they're all predominantly Gentile. They're Gentile lands with Gentile people. Why doesn't he write the letter to the church in Jerusalem or the church in Samaria? Because of this concept that we just learned about. The Jews largely rejected Christ, although there were Jewish believers. Um, the Lord is primarily working in the Gentile world. The Jews have rejected Christ, nationally speaking. And so he says today, presently, in this time of revelation and beyond, even to our day, the Lord is primarily burning bright through the Gentile church, predominantly Gentile church. There are Jews, there are a remnant that are saved and praise God for that. And so at the beginning of revelation, we see that the church is used to be light to the world. But then what happens? God's wrath happens in revelation. We see that the book is largely about this time of judgment where the Lord is pouring out his wrath upon those who have rejected Christ. He does that because judgment is merited, but he's also doing a work in Israel. So we said that the Jew passed the torch to the predominantly Gentile church in the time of Christ's first coming. Before Christ's second coming, he pours out judgment and the church will then pass the torch, being the light of the world, to the Jew. I believe that God is coming soon to take his church out of the world through this thing called the rapture, which is talked about in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18. You can read about that. And so after chapter 3, we see the church missing and the Lord begins to work in Israel. As he pours out his wrath in chapter 6, we see a quarter of the world's population wiped out through 
terrible cataclysmic events. But then in chapter 7, there's an interlude. And what happens in chapter 7? Picking up in verse 4 of chapter 7, we see 144,000 Jews of all the tribes of the children of Israel were sealed. They're sealed by the angel for the, for the work of God. They're, they're born again. And they're not only born again to be Christians, to be followers of Christ, but they're born again to be light. And we see this culminating in these two witnesses in chapter 11. In chapter 11, we see two witnesses. Verse 3, it says, God says, I will give power to my two witnesses and they will prophesy a hundred, I'm sorry, a thousand two hundred and sixty days clothed in sackcloth. These are the two olive trees and the two lampstands standing before the God of the earth. And if anyone wants to harm them, fire proceeds out of their mouth and devours their enemy. And if anyone wants to harm them, he must be killed in this manner. These have power to shut up heaven, so no rain falls in the days of their prophecy. To have power over waters, to turn them to blood, and to strike the earth with all plagues as often as they desire. So we see these two bulletproof prophets doing work just like Moses and Elijah did, turning water to blood, plaguing the earth, shutting up heaven so it doesn't rain for three and a half years. We see God working again in the future like he had in the past through the Old Testament Jewish nation, doing great powerful works to reveal himself to a lost world. And we see the result of that uh, in Zechariah 12. The Bible says in Zechariah 12, 3, that every nation will come against Jerusalem and come against Israel. And we see a time like that now, don't we? We see massive anti-Semitism brewing. And we see the Jews going back to their homeland. And the Bible says every nation is going to turn on them. Revelation 30, I'm sorry, um, Jeremiah 30 calls it the time of Jacob's trouble, but he will be saved out of his trouble. He'll come to Christ. Zechariah 12 tells us in verse 10 that God will pour out the spirit of grace and supplication upon them. They'll look on him whom they've pierced and they'll mourn for one, uh, mourn for him as one mourns for his only son. They'll look at Jesus whom they've pierced and they'll mourn for him and they'll come to Christ. And so the Lord is not through with the Jew and that's fantastic that's fantastic. We get to know that Christ is coming back and he's going to fulfill his work in the Jewish people. And that means he's also not through with us. He's going to fulfill his work in us. The Lord is faithful. Even if you're not faithful, the Lord won't give up on you. The Lord's got you and he's going to finish his beautiful plan in your life. That's a beautiful thing. I hope this blessed you today. It sure blessed me. Have a great day in the Lord. In Jesus name. Thanks for joining us today on Something New with Steve Tucker. If you have questions about today's episode or want to know how you can hear more of Steve's teaching, reach out to us at Steve Tucker Ministry at proton.me.